My first lie of the day. I'm fine. This was my reply when my husband asked, What's wrong? You were tossing and turning all night. I sometimes lie to my husband about being fine, usually because I don't want to talk about why I'm not fine. Talking helps some people. They love to talk it all out. But talking won't change what I did some 24 hours earlier. Last night as I lay in bed, guilt flooded my mind, replaying the events from earlier in the day. I tried to look away from what appeared to be my own car crash reality show or flick the off switch of the widescreen TV or snip the cable that made it continue to play on a never-ending loop. But that's the thing about being inside your head. There's nowhere else to go. What I did has no defence. People will have absolutely no pity for me, my husband included. So best to say I'm fine, at least for now. Lie number two. Ah, that's just what I wanted. Thank you. I'm thrilled. Because telling my daughter Glow, aged two, that her gift sucks would hurt her beautiful little soul, one of pure light and goodness. Sometimes I can't believe I produced someone so special and lovely. Her gift was a partially used bar of dove soap, snatched from our shower, which she'd wrapped in pink toilet paper and sprayed with a bottle of Chanel 19, a perfume which I'd hardly used because I was saving it. I love that she wasn't saving it, that she thought I was worth the whole bottle. Lie number three. You totally get away with it. This was my response to my husband's question. Are these jeans too wrinkled to wear to work? I once made the mistake of answering yes to this question. His reply... Why did you wait until I was going out the door to tell me? Now I'm going to be late, he snapped. He doesn't usually snap, which is why the incident stung. I calmly explained he'd been wearing wrinkled jeans since I met him ten years ago, and I thought he was aware of the fact, and was only asking me to assess the extent of today's particularly wrinkled jeans crossing the line of acceptability. He huffed around the kitchen, banging cupboard doors and drawers open and shut, looking for the iron in places no iron could fit. I directed him towards the utility and left for work. I think secretly he'd love the type of wife who ironed his clothes, but I have four other humans' clothes to look after as well as bed sheets, so this isn't an option, though I'd like to think we'd stop each other from leaving the house looking like an absolute disgrace. Lie number four. Go on, I can handle the truth. I asked my friend Susie for her opinion on the Alice in Wonderland type hairband that I was wearing, because I thought that it might have made me look like a kid's TV presenter. But when I gestured to it, Susie somehow misunderstood and thought I was referring to the general area of my face, so she gave her full and uncensored assessment of my makeup as opposed to my hairband. Her assessment went as follows. Big eyebrows, they may be in, but you look like a 1980s cartoon character. Your foundation makes you look like a mud person. No one is naturally that shade of orange. Most stinging of all, she finished up with And bleaching that tash under your nose doesn't make it invisible, it just makes it blonde. I thanked her for her honesty and told her I was just wondering about the hairband, not the rest. Oh, it makes you look like you're auditioning for Little House on the Prairie, she said. Feel free to lie in future, I don't always need to hear the truth, okay? I said with a lightness in my voice, lightly hiding any hurt I was feeling. However, Susie was shocked by my response. She genuinely thought she was being a true friend and big sister type by telling me the things others wouldn't dare, the truth. But I believe friends' jobs are sometimes to tell white lies 
simply to cushion us from ourselves, because we are often our own harshest critics. However, it depends on the situation. For example, Susie really values the truth. Her husband had been having an affair with her friend, and everyone knew about it, but hid the truth from her because they didn't want to hurt her. When she found out about the affair, she was devastated. But even more so by the fact that everyone knew everyone but her. Lie number five. No, I had no idea I was going that fast. I'm sorry. I knew I was breaking the speed limit, but not recklessly so, and I didn't think the speed guns worked in the nightlight, so I was zooming along like the getaway driver from a bank raid. And then I did something the speed cop wasn't expecting. I switched from my lie to the truth. Three mornings a week I leave for work before my kids wake and by the time I return they're often asleep. It makes me sad and angry but mostly sad. So I speed in an effort to get home faster so I can spend a few precious minutes with them before the day is lost. The speed cop looked at me considering what I'd just said. As she peered at my face she recognised the look of an exhausted mother because her face looked the same as mine. Eyelids opened extra wide as if pinned back by taxidermist needles and fighting the impulse to close. Growling weariness greying our skin and the area under our eyes squeezed out like old paint tubes. The result of years of broken sleep followed by full work days in a never-ending cycle. Some call it motherhood. She let me go with a warning. Drive safely, she said as she walked away from my car. You too, I called after her. We were fighting the same war. Lie number six. A text message I sent. Take your time, no rush, don't worry about being late. My friend was late for our catch-up. She's been late for the last 30 years of our friendship and I used to lose the head with her over it because being late sends a signal to the other person that you see your time as being more important than theirs. But that's not how people being late see it. They're doing their best. They just don't have those skills to be on time. Or they're just a tad too optimistic about how long it takes to get somewhere on time and no amount of huffing from me was going to change this habit. And this certainly wasn't a deal-breaker in regard to our friendship as she has many more qualities that cancel this out and me being so uptight is probably far more annoying. So, since I couldn't change her, I chose to change me and let it go. And I also chose to change my approach. If I wanted to meet her at 10am for a coffee and a chat, I'd tell her we'd meet at 9am knowing she'll be at least an hour late. And if she's only 45 minutes late, that means she'll arrive before me and she'll be all chuffed with herself for being early. And I'll be happy that I wasn't sitting around for an hour waiting for her, so everyone is happy. Lie number seven. Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yesterday afternoon in a staff meeting, I failed to challenge a colleague's proposal simply because I was trying to avoid an argument with her. Though in reality, what she was saying made absolutely no sense. It was biased and served her own ends. However, it wasn't going to impact on me or others. And if I called her on it, she'd most likely repeat past behaviour, raise her voice and make mean personal accusations about me in front of our colleagues. And then I'd take her down, stopping only when I felt I'd fully annihilated her and her argument. Five minutes later, I'd have it forgotten, but she wouldn't. And she would freeze me out for months, which would upset me. I'd dread going to work and I would only have myself to blame. I used to always stand up for the truth and I still do, especially when it impacts on others who are junior to me at work or elsewhere. But I also have learned to recognise that letting things go is essential for mental wellness. Being happy is more important than being right. 
Creating a war between us will deeply hamper getting the job done and that's where my responsibilities rest, not being some type A accountant on her BS. So I tried to manage my reaction to her, even if that involves telling a white lie. The first step, however, is quenching my anger that's building towards the bull she's peddling. This works in all types of situations, not just with volatile workmates. Here's how I do it. The first step is catching my anger when it's on the rise, when it's under five as opposed to a full explosion of ten. I know anger is beginning to rise when my heart and breathing rate quickens. My breathing becomes shallow and short and I'll feel an overwhelming impulse to right the wrong I'm hearing or witnessing or rather, which I perceive as being wrong. Who knows, maybe I'm the one who's wrong. Either way, this technique of recognising anger is bubbling, that it's coming, and then not reacting to it for just ten breaths will make the difference between you losing it and not. And none of us wants to lose it because it makes us look unprofessional. Here's how it works. Try and do this with me, as you'll remember it better if you do it rather than just listening. Breathe in deeply on the count of one. Pause. Breathe out slowly, making sure your exhalation is longer than your inhalation. Then breathe in on the count of two. Pause and breathe out slowly. Breathe in to the count of three. One, two, three. Pause and breathe out slowly with your lips just slightly apart. This will help slow down your breath. Breathe in for the count of four. One, two, three, four. Pause. And breathe out slowly, making sure your exhalation is at least twice as long as your inhalation. Breathe in to the count of five. One, two, three, four. Five. Pause. And a long, slow exhalation. This time, breathing out any feelings that are no longer serving you. Breathe in for the count of six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Pause. And breathe out slowly with control. Breathe in to the count of seven. One, Two, three, four, five, six, seven. Pause and exhale slowly. Perfect. You're doing great. Breathe in to the count of eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Pause and exhale. We're almost there. Breathe in to the count of nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Pause and breathe it all out. Breathe in one last deep belly breath to the count of ten. One, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Pause and make this exhalation your longest one yet. Notice how you feel. Has your anger dissipated? 
If you can answer yes, then is it okay to respond with a lie? If you're lying to spare others harm or pain, that's considered pro-social lying. And according to psychological research, this is often a sign that you've got a well-developed sense of empathy and can choose to act compassionately towards others. However, if you're lying to keep yourself out of trouble, that's not exactly a testament to your altruism or kindness. Unfortunately, not every white lie will stay benign. Sometimes a white lie turns into a white-eyed blizzard of lies that no longer serve to protect a person's self-worth or the feelings of others. White lies that become deceptions that go on too long or are no longer containable can cause a lot of damage to relationships that were once meant to be protected through the use of a lie. Whether to lie or not comes down to a simple equation that involves two factors. These are What is the intent behind your lie? Measure this against the second factor. What is the potential fallout if you're found out? Weigh these factors carefully against each other before you risk telling the lie, no matter how harmless it may seem. If the benefits to yourself outweigh the costs to the other, the lie is likely better off untold. If in doubt, just practice the counting breath.